to our Zoom call, and uh, this is Marie Waite, and I am here with uh, Jonathan Preston, who is a real estate lawyer in the Inland Empire, and I have known him for years. Jonathan, welcome to our Zoom call. Thank you for having me here. Yes, and Jonathan, I just wanted to let people know how you and I got to know each other, because I remember... Um, I was in the Marietta Chamber when Ed Bato, remember Ed Bato, who was the I know um, very well. company? Okay, so he actually uh, intentionally wanted to meet me at the Marietta Chamber, and he told me that he wanted to invite me to a BNI meeting. So I went there, and I did my presentation, and then, not really a presentation, it was more like a, a one-minute, um, you know, commercial of yourself, and so I did that, and then after that, he said, Marie, I want to connect you to Jonathan. You really need to meet Jonathan. And, and that was way back. That was when I just started my real estate company. And then um, I believe uh, we met you at your office. And that was in Marietta too, right? Uh, yes. Office, or it was, was it over about 10 years ago, right? So Yes, that was way back. It was in 2000, I believe, six or seven. Somewhere around there somewhere around there and um, and that's when I met you. And then you started doing a lot of work for us, for our company at that time. And you did a lot of uh, bankruptcy uh, work for our clients, real estate clients. Um, in the collapse, we uh, started picking up a lot more bankruptcy cases than we ever had. That was in 2008, 2009, 2010. Yes. And so. And you were busy. <laughs> We were busy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I and I, I uh, and did a lot of work with you also in regards to my company, Finest Women in Real Estate. You helped me get through some of the legal paperwork, and mm -hmm. uh, I'm very, very glad that I have you on my side <laughs> because you know I, I was going, yeah, I was going through so many things, and I, yes. I'm also familiar. I'm actually very aware that you're also helping other real estate professionals and business. Uh, connections that I have in their business, you know, in terms of uh, their contracts and any, uh, I believe, some legal um, situations also, and you help them with that. We've handled uh, a lot of, uh, you know, mostly contractual matters, uh, contractual business-related disputes, uh, not just with real estate companies, but with also uh, a number of construction companies, or it's very common. Um, we do uh, quite a lot of construction type cases, including uh, mechanics lien, breach of contract, actions. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Jonathan, I just wanted to ask you about how you all, how you got started in, in law. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I've known you as a lawyer the entire time, but do you have any other things that you've done prior from being a lawyer? Oh, okay. Well, uh, when I was, um, you know, basically in college, I went straight into law school. So there wasn't much of a break there, but okay. I did major in uh, essentially uh, social science, political science, and then two uh, foreign language. Okay. As an exchange student. And so I, I uh, wanted to go to law school pretty much from my freshman year of college and uh, not really knowing too much about it, but I did enjoy always studying law. So I thought the I'd never at the time really understood the difference between the study of law and really the practice or the actual application of it. 
you know, how a law is passed and how it goes in and then it immediately starts to affect people. So that was an eye opener for me, I must admit. Okay. My experience uh, essentially was in college, was various odd jobs, and then in law school, the same thing. Um, and then right afterwards, I, I was uh, working for a title company for a while. So, okay. So how how long was that? It was about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, and uh, which was great experience because it taught me a lot about real estate closings. You know what it takes to get an actual, you know, real. Uh, residents from listing all the way to closing, including title relating clearing issues. Okay. And that's why you specialize on real estate because of that background. Yeah. I wouldn't consider myself a, a complete real estate lawyer, um, okay. other things, so a lot of business related and as well as construction matters, but I've, I've handled numerous real estate matters, including uh, title related issues. Um, specific performance cases are common. Um, cases involving, uh, you know, where two people cannot uh, co-own a, a property properly and they need to basically part ways. Uh, it's known as a partition and other issues. Okay. Well, can you share some of some of the uh, stories that you've handled in real estate that could, <laughs> you know, it was really a bizarre oh, thing for you? <laughs> bizarre thing. You got me on the spot. I mean, this <laughs> There's probably a lot of stories. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, a lot of, I mean, most fraudulent transfer cases which involve real estate yeah. become very entertaining because they, they deal with a combination of bankruptcy and creditor issues while at the same time you have uh, clients who are trying to hide assets and, okay. you know, explaining um, how to undo things and following. So it's a combination of uh, the Uniform Fraudulent Transfer Act um, which is uh, California does follow, as well as knowing uh, some of the underlying debt-related issues which precipitate uh, those transfers. Those cases are always entertaining. Wow. Well, um, I, I'm going to ask you, how many cases have you handled, you know, in, I mean, I don't know if you can get me a ballpark somehow. <laughs> in 21 years? Oh, gosh. You know, thousands, I suppose. 21 years? Wow. Yes. So, you, so you've been in courts, you know, represented so many uh, clients. And what was the longest um, litigation have you had? Uh, oh, ever? Yes. If a case goes on, I had one case that went in, into about a fourth year. I'm pretty good about not making my cases go too long. Okay. Um, but every once in a while, you have cases that get stopped or told as a result of a, a bankruptcy filing. Um, but most of my cases resolve uh, in one year, um, tops two years, and that's in, in accordance with fast track rules. Okay. Basically, the Superior Court is designed to try and make sure that about 80% of our filings resolve under two years. Okay. Now, with with our situation right now, you know, people losing jobs and staying home, do you think that the bankruptcy is gonna, is gonna go up? Yes, um, what I expect, this is what I'm thinking is, is that in the next six months, there will be uh, an increase in bankruptcy. There will probably be an increase in landlord tenant issues uh, when a lot of uh, tenants are now required to pay back rent 
We have, I, I read one statistic where it's about a 30% default now. I don't know if that's accurate on rents right now, but just because someone has not paid their you know, April or May rent doesn't mean that they don't owe it. And so, um, you know, come June, July, August, the landlord might be calling. And then you have numerous other debt-related, you know, just credit card debts that people uh, receive voluntary forbearances. Um, all of that is going to become payable at some future date. Okay. I think maybe in about five months from here. So you think the stimulus package is not really going to help people? You know, with the SBA, I think loan that they're talking about. Well, the uh, the uh, paycheck, uh, what's it called, the PPA program? Yes. It's now ran out of money. I guess they received some new funding for it. The problem with that is, is that uh, it's kind of difficult to get immediate qualification as far as I've been told. Um, so I'll leave that up to the lenders to decide if it's really working or not. I think it's a great idea that for small businesses, they can actually borrow, you know, what amounts to their payroll and operating expenses. And I believe it covers rent as well uh, with uh, the idea that they would not have to pay this back. Um, it would be waived. In, in reality, it might be difficult to achieve that quickly, but I'm not, I'm not involved in that. So. Okay. Anyway, so we were talking about the increase on bankruptcy because of the people that are coming in that are actually, they've lost their jobs and staying home. And Jonathan just shared that, you know, there's definitely an increase in bankruptcy. So Jonathan, I wanted to follow up on that question. So if there is significant increase on bankruptcy, do you think that the economy will be so much affected by that? Or is, is that gonna be a quick recovery for us where, you know, because it's not really a recession time for us. Uh, I, that's just my thinking because of the real estate situation where, you know, we don't have a right. lot of inventory and, you know, there's, there's a lot of people wanting to have homes. So what do you think about that? I don't think we're going to have a quick uh, V-shaped recovery. I think it's going to be more of a, a U-shape with a, an, you know, I do think the economy is going to show probably about a two to $4 trillion deficit this year, which is unheard of. Um, this money that's been issued in the stimulus check is going to create a, quite a lot of, I would say, temporary stimulus, probably for the months of, of May and June. The actual people who are on unemployment, they're getting an extra $600 per um, pay period, I've heard. And uh, that uh, basically the disincentive to return to work because it often creates uh, additional funding. Uh, for, I mean, uh, they were basically making more money on unemployment than they are if they were to just return to work. And that's a problem. So I think this is going to be more of a U shape. Uh, I think that we will not be back to normal probably for about one year, even if we do have, you know, a lack of social distancing, if you want to, so people can go out to restaurants. Uh, that's my opinion. Okay. So, um, and one thing that I, I think you wanted to also talk about is where there's going to be also a lot of insurance claims because of the business uh, disruptions. Can you share your thoughts about that? Well, th this is a very hot topic. Um, what's going on now is there's been thousands of denied claims uh, for business interruption insurance. These are on an all-risk policy. Um, so an example would be a restaurant uh, basically is submits a, uh, a claim. The insurance company 
evaluates it, and then sends a prompt demand letter, uh, a denial letter. The denial reasons are based on uh, virus exclusions, uh, but what I wanted to tell people, it's not as cut and dry as the insurance company would like it to, to seem. Uh, there are, are multiple dynamics going in and how we interpret and how we, we look at a policy. Uh, and so there's really no case law that I've seen on pandemic exclusions. So it's a, a thing where it just has not been evaluated yet. We have virus exclusions in policies, but you also have things um, that tend to call um, what's referred to as concurrent uh, um, causation analysis, and then you also have uh, government shutdown. So you, you have basically multiple causes coming in to cause an actual loss. And then uh, it's up to the courts to determine which one um, would apply in a policy. And uh, policy interpretation is, is very complicated. So what I tell people to do is, is to talk to a lawyer. It doesn't mean that they're going to jump into federal court right away to try and pursue uh, such a denial uh, in litigation. But it's very important for policyholders to file a claim if they want to preserve their rights because there's a notice requirement in every policy, regardless of who's right on this issue, you still have to give notice. And so if you do not give notice, then even if the courts come down a year and a half from now, two years from now, and determine that the virus exclusions do not apply, you're out of luck because you didn't file your claim timely. So. I see. Wow. Um, so if, let's say a restaurant, they were, um, notified to close their restaurant because of the coronavirus. What would be their case? Because, you know, you're talking about people that can't go to a restaurant and they, they kept it open, but people, th there were no people in there. So is that quality, is that a qualified business company, um, well, business owner yes. to file? Restaurants are one of the most common re um, filers of these claims. And so the first thing we, we would do is basically look at their policy. One is, is referred to as an all-risk policy, or is it a stated peril? What that means is uh, an all-risk policy means that we're going to find coverage unless there's a specific exclusion. So it, you, we have to look to the exclusions to, make, to find out if there is no coverage. A specific peril policy is common. The most common one you're probably familiar with is a, a flood loss, a flood insurance, or an earthquake insurance. That means that the, the loss has to come from a a specified uh, source, an identified law, you know, peril. So we would look at that and then we'd look at the exclusions on, on the all risk policy to see if they are, um, you know, basically how the virus exclusion reads, assuming it's in there. We'd also look at uh, whether there's concurrent coverage for government shutdowns and whether there's um, other language that would um, talk about uh, concurrent causes, which is very common because you have issues where you have possible language that would encourage coverage under the government shutdown section, but you may have a, a section that says, well, if, if the virus is the, the main cause, or the, then it should be, it, you know, it would take precedent over the government shutdown. I see. Does so, that make sense? But. Yes, but for the individual um, employees, if they were let go, I mean, do they have a reason to file also for insurance claims? No. No, okay. They don't have standing under the policy. Okay. Uh, owner is the named insured under the policy. He's the one who would have the right to pursue a claim. Okay. 
All right. So Jonathan, I know that you are located, your office is in Marietta. And um, if people want to uh, learn more about, you know, our discussion, our topic today, how can they reach you? Uh, they can call me at my office. Um, my uh, office number is 951-461-2500. My website is uh, jrplawoffice.com. Okay. All right. And then uh, last, um, last thing, uh, Jonathan, is there anything that you would like to share to the viewers or to the listeners of this, um, of this uh, Zoom talk? And, you know, it's, it's, I'll let you go. <laughs> sure. I just want to make sure because I, I've come across a lot of people who are hearing that there's no possibility of insurance for their, their business interruption loss. And that may be the case. I'll, I'll be honest is that it's possible in a year from now that um, the courts basically conclude that uh, you know, the virus ex exclusion uh, was appropriate. However, um, by not providing the notice on time, it's not going to matter. So it's important that uh, at least a claim gets filed. Most policies have a one year or two year time period after a claim denial to assert litigation. So it's possible for a party to actually file a claim, wait a year or wait up to the time period to see how uh, the case law is, is falling and see if these cases are becoming successful. Thank you, Jonathan Preston, for sharing all the information uh, that is going to be helpful for all the people that are watching this show. Your experience and your expertise is really incredible, and I really, really appreciate that you have taken the time to join me and giving all this valuable information for the people. For all of you, please make sure that you share this video. I'm sure that other people can learn from this. And, and don't forget to tune into our next episode. Thank you.